Hi, I'm Mark Haywood and this is Behind the Spine, a podcast which finds learning opportunities for writers in the most unlikely of places. It's mostly women I know who love horror films in that way because nothing's really scarier than like the real world things that can happen to us. That's why I think there's almost like a comfort in watching a final girl win or a, f- a woman be the dangerous thing. Screen time in horror is a finite thing. You might not make it further than the opening scene, or you may have your torture dragged out until the film's dying moments. But often, it's only the villain who makes it all the way to the end. Though, not in all cases, there is the odd survivor, and one particular type of survivor we're talking about today is the final girl, last woman standing, the female protagonist who makes it out alive. That's because today's guest writes for the film collective Final Girls. You may have heard of the podcast. They also have a platform called Bloody Women, which is a place for female-led writing on horror. My guest also writes for the British Film Institute and Den of Geek. In this Halloween special of Behind the Spine, we're going deep into the horror genre with bona fide expert Isara Barbe-Brown. Chapter 1 Sally. This is not a spoiler-heavy episode. The films we're mostly going to be talking about are not brand new, but here's a heads-up of what they are, just in case. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by Anna Lily Amirpour. Revenge by Coralie Farge. Ravenous by Antonia Bird. Trouble Every Day by Claire Denis. Eve's Bayou by Cassie Lemons. Teeth by Mitchell Lichtenstein. Usually I'm tasked with reading books as homework for this podcast, but for this episode I was given very different brightening and blood-curdling instructions. Sitting through each of these films has changed me, teeth especially, but we'll come back to that. In a moment you'll hear us talk about Final Girls, Sydney from Scream and Laurie from Halloween, but to begin exploring the concept of the Final Girl, we're going to start somewhere very familiar – The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's slasher starring Leatherface. By the time the curtain falls, only one remains, Sally Hardesty, who goes on to live another day. I'm incredibly fascinated by the idea of survival in horror films, whether it's actually a good thing. I mean, if I was Sally, I might rather have died than live on with the knowledge of the horrors I've just endured. And this is a particular area of interest for Sarah, too. Sally's never going to be fine again I think we can all agree that Sally (laughs) there is no way she has a normal life after that that's why she's my favorite one is because you're willing her to survive obviously you want her to survive you want someone to survive this situation but you're just like that end bit she gets what do you do after that like what do you even do after that your brother or your friends are dead you probably have to tell people exactly what happened over and over again the police the doctors like, I don't know, report it. Like, there's going to be so many times she has to relive this story. There's just no way that her life is good (laughs) (laughs) or normal. So it's like a weird hope because you're like, I want it to be okay, but like, what is she going to do now? Like, what do you do with that? And so I love it because it's the concept of like, yes, you survived, but is that enough? I think she's like a final girl that best embodies that. Um, Like, is it enough to just survive? I I don't know. And I've always thought about the police report that would be written. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I can imagine the officer saying to her, wait, you jumped out of another window. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it, it just, it just, it, it doesn't stop. It gets just, it's insane. Just every part of it. Imagine being like my friends, I couldn't find them walking my brother through the woods. Then a guy with a chainsaw pops out. He's wearing some sort of a leather face mask. I make it away to like a garage, like slash barbecue place. And then the guy puts me in a bag, pokes me with a broom handle and takes me back to the house where they sit me around a table and bring their rotting grandfather out to try and like kill like there's so many levels of it that I would just be like would you just sound oh and by the way the house is full of like chicken bones and human bones and um I jumped through two windows <laughs> and like there's so many elements that would just be out of control like insane like, you'd have a hard time even believing especially that I can imagine like even imagining police in Texas I'm guessing right. her explaining this I can't imagine them being like oh yeah sure that's I'm sure that's what happened it'd be such a weird story that she'd be telling there'd be people who would call her a liar there'd be people like they'd be, her life would be awful awful after this like we've seen and in this modern day and age it happened now how people react to like victims online and whatever There'd be a, a whole plethora of people being like, she's made this up, it's for attention, blah, blah, blah. And if she did something like to try and salvage or take control of it in any way, like write a book, people would be like, oh, it was just for money. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there would be nothing good. Uh, I, I feel like even whatever way she maybe tried to make it good, I'm not sure it would work. But yeah, I love her. And I, I generally do love the idea of a final guy. I think mostly because I think it's unexpected in the genre, just because I think it's often considered, as far as directing and writing goes, a male-dominated genre. And to write women as often the people who are the lone survivors, I think, well, I find it quite unexpected, especially when it comes from men, especially not being like a, a newer idea, the fact that there's all, like, for a long time being this thing of like, oh, and then one woman survives. I mean, I guess the reasons have changed. Like often a woman survived before because she was like more innocent or whatever than everybody else or something like that. But um, I just really love the concept of it. And I especially like, I like Sally because she is just trying to get away the whole time in a way that I feel is realistic, in a way that I'm just like, she's launching herself out of windows because she doesn't care if that kills her because it's better than dying at the hands of these people in this house. And too often in horror films, you see people running away and you're just like, this is not, this is not effective enough running away. <laughs> you are not <laughs> trying hard enough. <laughs> like, don't like run and fall and look behind you. Like, it's just, no, just any way you possibly can. And I think Sally really embodies that. Like, I am just trying in any way possible to get put distance between me and these people. But I also love a final girl who like fights back because she has to. I, I don't like it when they're like, I'm going to like wait in this area and plot and make a plan, like do a little home alone plan to get the killer. Cause I'm like, no, just leave. But like um, when they're forced into like making, like doing something like fighting back, I love it. Like, like Sydney Prescott's a really good example. Like at that point in the film, when she ends up, you know, winning, there's no other option for her, right? She has to fight back. She has to try and play them against each other, try and like kill one or both of them. And Laurie Strode, our favourite Halloween final girl, because it's just like, I mean, that man is relentless. Just... It's, not, it's movie number 15. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is no Some one point. should have to go through this. <laughs> Every Halloween. Like, honestly, I would have left the country. I'm sure Michael Myers, I'm sure he can't fly. 
like there's no he's not getting on a plane so I would have been like I'm just gonna leave <laughs> possibly maybe I'm gonna move to France but you know good for her I haven't seen the new film yet but it sounds more like she's hunting him at this point I also really like a villainous final girl which is like I'm not sure it actually counts as one but there's in the hot have you seen the film the hole it's yes. a 2001 film with Thora Birch I love that she's like the villain in it and that she's a lone survivor and that she wins. <laughs> like, so I like that too. I'm like, yeah, I like when girl gets to be bad and gets to do like the shitty thing and still makes it to the end. <laughs> right. Well, on that villainous female there, let's talk about Promising Young Woman by Emerald Fennell. Mm. I know this did well, both commercially and critically, and it certainly won some fairly big gongs, but it's very familiar territory, isn't it? A woman wronged in the past goes batshit crazy in the present and then tries to wreak revenge. Uh, we've talked about this, so I know you had a particular issue or maybe even a series of issues with this film, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I hated it. So, um, <laughs> Don't like, mince your words. <laughs> viscerally hated it because it's really marketed, and I guess this is not directly Emerald Fennel's fault, but like it was marketed definitely as girl does violence to men who prey on women who they assume are drunk and inca- incapacitated, right? Then she's not, and they take her home, and actually, like, uh-oh, they're in trouble. And actually, what happens is, they do take her home, and then she reveals that she's sober, and then they, she just kind of gives them a telling off and leaves. And I was like, now... <laughs> These are the kind of guys who are like, I see a woman drunk on her own, I'm going to take her home and sexually assault or rape her, you're not worried about any kind of violence when they realize that you're sober and that you've tricked them. Like, realistically, as a woman watching it, I was like, well, now you've been in some sort of danger. You're in their house. They're angry at you. And we're just imagining that there's no threat there. We're just pretending that she gets to scare them and then leaves and that's all she needs to do. And it's like, no. I wanted her to do violence, basically. And I was like, this should have been like a proper revenge film where she's like really getting these men so they never forget even if she didn't kill them something to be like oh so they never really are going to do this again because all of those men at this point will probably do this again or maybe even up their game maybe they'll slip a girl something to make sure that she's incapacitated so the whole story is that she's you know building up to getting revenge for her friend who was raped like I think gang raped in a a, like a frat party when they're at college And she's building up to getting these guys and this particular guy. And she, along the way, is getting people who she thinks were complicit in it, right? So one of the big things as well was that there was a video of it. It went round the school. Her friend killed herself. So she thinks a lot of people are culpable and complicit. And that includes a woman who I believe was one of their friends and the principal or something of of the college. And she, the revenge she exacts on those women is much worse than anything she does to the guys. And I just don't understand. It's not even think that women should have got away with it, like, as well. I'm, but it's very weird to me that that was the choice. My biggest issue is that, is that you see, she ends up sacrificing herself, essentially. So she goes, dresses up as a stripper, goes to this party, then reveals who she is, attacks the guy, the main guy who did the terrible thing, and he strangles her to death. And you see the whole strangulation the whole thing on screen and I was just like who is this for 
not for victims of anything. Why would we want to see this? It just, it was awful. Then the big, like, they burn her body, like, and whatever, and then the police arrive. She sends out, like, a time text. And the big thing that we're meant to be relieved about is that they're going to get arrested. It's like, these rich white men are about to get arrested. Now, do we think (laughs) that the police, that the judicial system is really going to find justice in any... And it's just like, no, probably not. And Emerald Fennell in interviews did say stuff like, oh, she's really uncomfortable with revenge and anger and violence, which I was like, why would you make this film then? And her, also her police, her, her father's a police officer, which also explains her view on that being a justified ending. And I just, yeah, I just think a lot of women I know who are victims, especially a lot of women of colour, really, it just felt very like white feministy. Like it felt like a kind of a, like a white feminist fantasy. <laughs> and it was, I just, I couldn't, yeah, I hated it like passionately. <laughs> Chapter two, perspectives of fear. Gender plays a huge role in how fear is perceived. Men aren't plagued with the same day-to-day fears as women, like going for a walk after dark. A man will barely give it a moment's thought, but a woman has to be prepared, and is in fact urged not to even bother. The danger is too great. In many of the films I watched for this episode, there's a real sense of foreboding that just doesn't work as well when you flip the gender. Being afraid is much more visceral from a female perspective because females live with it in a completely unique way. So does the horror genre impact female fans differently? It's an interesting thing. Like, I think I told you about this one guy who's like, you're just living your life in fear. And I was like, women aren't walking around, like, terrified all the time. It's honestly such a commonplace thing at this point, something we've literally had drummed into us since we were kids, since we were little girls, to be wary, to be wary especially of men. And so it's it's background noise almost now. It's not something I'm, you're active, sometimes you're actively really scared of something, um, like when you are walking home alone and there is someone behind you or whatever. But um, a lot of the time it's just kind of in the, you do things subconsciously because you're used to like, running through this checklist of things to make sure you're being as safe as possible and you're not always aware of the fear you're feeling it's just such a normal thing at this point like there is something on my keys that is like literally a weapon that's just there I don't even think about it most of the time do you mean like I I don't see it every time being like oh my god I got it it's like I just know it's there it's been there for such a long time I don't even really think about it and we, if you talk to like a lot of women, you, they all have these stories of like, oh, we say it so casually, like, oh yeah, I've been like stared at the train, I've been groped on the train, I've been followed, I've been like, like all this stuff like that we talk about in a way that doesn't isn't doesn't give it as much weight as it possibly should have because it's so commonplace. Most of the women I know don't even know where to put it. We don't even know how to make it a big deal because we it's not good for it doesn't feel good for our own lives to make it a big deal every time if we did that we would never get anything done we never go outside so you become really good at just ignoring things like around you like when someone's staring at me you get really good at just like going about your day and acting like they're not staring at you and if someone's possibly following you again pretending that you don't know that they're following you 
we get used to like making that phone call on the way home, like when you feel a bit unsafe or putting your headphones on, but not having anything on them or moving one ear off or like, there's all these little things that we're so, so used to doing that I, I think we barely notice it anymore. And I think in the genre, so what's always a, a biggest threat for women is like violence, usually from men and rape. That's always going to be one of, even no matter what else is happening, that threat is always, I was actually just writing a piece with BFI about 28 days later. And I was like, in a world full of fast running zombies, the women still have to be scared of becoming these like sex objects that are passed around by this group of men. That is something they're still in the literal apocalypse when there are people like vomiting blood and whatever, the women in that film still have to be like, oh, I have to also be wary of just men <laughs> in general. <laughs> like still, and you see in The Walking Dead shows like that where that is always an ever present threat for women. It always boils down to it. It always comes down to, which is I think it's why it's so effective in the genre because it always comes down to that. How women being used, how women being sexualized, how they are always reduced to this one thing. And whether that means that like, if it was that situation, do women always need men around to protect them? I don't know. It's just, it's really, it's a really difficult thing, which is why I love films like, like I made you watch Revenge, where a woman does it on her own. Like she takes revenge on her own because I'm just like, it sucks that this is a thing that we always have to be scared of. It sucks that in a film where we're watching literal zombies and all that stuff, the biggest real fear is that these girls are about to be like horribly raped for God knows how long by these groups of men. I think that's why it's so interesting when it flips in the in like in the genre, like a girl walks home alone and like it's a perfect example because you know, even that title evokes something, right? It sounds like, oh no, like a girl walks home alone at night is the beginning of a story where something bad happens to a girl. And actually she's the dangerous thing. And I love when the genre does that, when it, when, like Teeth does it as well, like where it's like, no, actually, what if the woman was something you had to be scared of? And because your guard is so down, why it works so well is because men's guards are never up that high, especially about a woman being around. And... I love the idea um, that even if it's a fantasy that sometimes they have to, they should be. I mean, the real world example of that, I guess, is like someone like Eileen Warren asks, right? Where she was killing men who like picked her up and whatever. And it's like, you they never think, they never think that they have to worry about those things. I think it's such a good concept to flip it because I'm just like, yeah, because men are never worried about this. They're never worried that I'm going to mug them. They're never worried when I'm walking behind them. Um, that I'm going to do anything terrible to him. I could have a weapon. <laughs> I'm small, but I could be dangerous. But yeah, so I find it, I find it very interesting. I think that's honestly why women consume so much horror. Like, I think I, I've mentioned this to you, that it's mostly women I know who love horror films in that way, who can just watch, like, just ab, just watch loads and loads and loads of them. It's because nothing's really scarier than like the real world things that can happen to us we have these stories in the news like Sarah Everard like these women we see the stuff all the time and not just here like I was actually listening to your true crime podcast behind the spine and the guy in it talking about how we can hear about stuff that happens in Australia it's like so now we're not only hearing about murders that happen like in our backyard we're hearing the atrocities that happen to women everywhere <laughs> like all the time so it's very hard not to feel like oh this is like a universal problem 
This is something I'd have to be scared about everywhere I went. And so that's why I think there's almost like a comfort in watching a final girl win or a, f- a woman be the dangerous thing. And honestly, men being hurt, <laughs> which sounds really awful. <laughs> Chapter three, teeth. I said we'd get back to teeth. And so here goes. This film deeply changed and deeply troubled me. It's about a woman who discovers she has vagina dentata, teeth, inside her vagina. And they spring into action whenever they sense anything non-consensual. If you're a woman, that might sound like a great watch. But for the males listening, if you're not already feeling incredibly uncomfortable, then let me spell this out. I urge you to avoid this film at all costs. However, Isara argues that men especially should watch it. Sex and horror go hand in hand. In The Wicker Man or Midsummer, for example, being a virgin can lead to some awful consequences, like ritual sacrifice. And Teeth exploits the connection between sex and horror in a very clever way. It not only blends the classic tropes of jump scares and gore, but it also manages to make you think deeply about the issue of consensual sex. But what's most astonishing is how the mere concept... Me just talking about it now is enough to make most men on the planet shrivel up in fear. That's when you know you've got the horror bit down. So what's funny about Teeth is that I think it's a comedy horror and all the women I know think it's a comedy horror and none of the men I know do. The first time I saw it was with a group of men and I was cackling. I was laughing so hard and they were looking at me like I was absolutely insane. And... um, (laughs) It's because it's that insidious way that consent, you know, it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be a brutal rape guy for you to be doing to be sexually assaulting someone. It's this less defined idea of consent that I think is what most men and most sexual assault actually is, is that men go, oh, like coercion or like, um, oh, it's fine if we just do this or I'm just going to, it's like, no, actually, it's not fine. And I love at the very end, you clearly know she's going to weaponize it. She's like, now she knows to control it and whatever. I feel bad for exactly zero men in that film. But like, um, I love it. I think it's such a clever idea. And to make it kind of funny and make it this girl who is like virginal at the begin to begin with. And then she has this amazing like self-defense weapon. <laughs> um, and I was like, imagine if, if like you didn't know which women had this and didn't and, like, oh, I would change everything. But um as far as like sex is concerned in films, so even in modern films, like you mentioned Midsummer, and actually it's like, it's not even being virginal that gets you sex. So sex is like still a turning point quite often in horror films. So the boyfriend is used by one of the women of this like group to like, you know, get pregnant. And it's like a big group, like ritual type thing. And then he's disposable after that, right? So it's still, sex is being used certainly as like a tool and a turning point. And then you have like, I think often because sex is linked to knowledge, I mean, that's like, it's very, very biblical, but like, um, especially women getting the knowledge of it. Like there are so many historical references and cultures where women don't know what sex is. Like I was watching a documentary about Mormons the other day. It was like a, you know, really strict Mormon group and they didn't know what sex was until they were married off to somebody and then it was happening. I was like, can you imagine how traumatic that was? And the boys all knew 
the boys knew what sex was and they were allowed to know, but that knowledge wasn't like allowed for them. Even the knowledge of it for somehow they felt was like dangerous. And I honestly think it's because, I mean, this is very massive generalizations, but I think it's honestly because what men are scared of is being manipulated with sex. They know that's an effective tool that women have if they know how to use it because they never don't want it. <laughs> so I think mostly what they're scared of women having any power over them and and that's the that's the way they think oh that's the way a woman would have power over me but yeah you, you see it in like like you know films like the witch where it's that fear um yes witchcraft but there's always a sexual element with witchcraft which is very odd like dancing naked in the woods and like or like fear street they tap on it like in the fear street trilogy films where the woman's a witch is because she's like lesbian and even that having sex they don't approve of if you're a woman or not wanting a man if you're a woman. So a lot a lot of it still comes down to either a woman having sex, not having sex, or not wanting to have sex with a particular man. And that's often why the violence happens, or the thing happens, or the ostracization happens, because, you know, whatever it leads to, either you're rejected from something, or you know too much, or it's weaponized to, like, get something for, some, like, for somebody else. Like, in, in The Wicker Man, you mentioned, it's used to lure that man in, so it's used as a tool still. It's never just this, like, casual thing. And in modern films, there's films like It Follows, where obviously it's not, like, it's about teenagers, like, sleeping with other teenagers, but it's particularly because we start with the, the girl in this, like, we start with the, the girl. And obviously it's happened to boys before that, that's how they've got it, this thing that follows them, but it starts with her because it's like the worst nightmare that she is dating this guy. She really likes him. They sleep together for the first time. She's done everything right, right, that you're meant to do. She's waited. They've dated. She thinks she knows him well enough. And then immediately it goes horribly, like something terrible happens. That's honestly like that fear that that we can never really get rid of, of like, oh, I think I know this person. And I think it's, gonna be fine but like if this guy decides to like flip out on me suddenly what am I gonna do at this point like so um I do think it's a fascinating like uh storytelling device in horror I think it's used quite effectively quite quite often and I think it can be used very like teeth I think it's, it's used very cleverly and I think luckily we're moving past the point now where it is just kind of used as like a horrific thing in itself like as like just a rape scene which I'm glad about, but I think um, there are definitely smart ways it's being like dissected and viewed and being like, wait, why do we view it like this? Why is it bad? Or especially for women, which I really enjoy with like modern storytelling and jump scares. As far as jump scares go, like I love a good jump scare and it's it's obviously getting hard. It gets harder. I can't, it gets harder to do because now everyone's so in the know with like, how horror films work they know when they're coming most likely like and so you just know the mark of a good filmmaker is when they get you anyway even though you know there's probably a scare coming I was talking about this the other day actually I was talking about um what lies beneath that Michelle Pfeiffer and it's a Richard Gere film that film's really good at they do the big like crescendoing music and it's coming up and you're like and then it doesn't happen you're like and then like immediately at that point when you're breathing out they do the scare I was like, it's so clever. They get you every single... I've seen that film so many times. It gets me every time. And, you know, I think in regards to, like, modern filmmakers, like Ari Aster and, like, uh, Jordan Peele, who are becoming, in a short, very short time, in a very short film career, becoming 
massive names in the genre and auteurs probably like you know um so arias is the guy who did um hereditary and midsummer and has a new film coming out i think next year and um jordan peele obviously he has three films which is insane that they already have this reputation that you know on a poster like for nope jordan peele's name was like the massive banner name like because everyone is excited for that now what he's going to do and i think both of them both of those those films all have they have jump scares like all the both the films they make like use jump scares and use all the the basics of horror filmmaking and then they just they do extra things that you're just not expecting in that genre so you just can't really predict where the story's going and I think that's what's clever about what they do. Let's talk about a bit more about Jordan Peele because it it strikes me as if his approach to storytelling is to work out what the conventional narrative is and then throw that out of the window and do Mm. something completely different. You mentioned zombies, so we should talk about the Key and Peel sketch, Racist Zombies, which is which is so clever. And if people haven't seen it, they should watch it because it's just based on a very simple notion, which is what if zombies were racist? And, and you kind of almost don't need to watch it because you can fill in the blanks for yourself. But a film like Get Out is so chilling when you when you think about it. You, you talked about sex and you talk about witchcraft there is a scene in which the central character is put under some form of spell or or trance that to me is a deeply sexual um scene even though nobody takes their clothes off but there is something extremely sexual about it but the most scary thing for me in that film is a line that comes towards the end where his girlfriend who has essentially orchestrated all of this just leans in and says something along the lines of, of all of them, you were one of my favourites, something yeah. like that. And that is so terrifying as a concept mm. that it almost doesn't need a jump scare to go with it because it's what it makes you think about. And, and you're right. How has he gone from a standing start to three films to everyone going, this man is the, is the horror genre, right? This is, mm. this is the saviour of the genre that's an extraordinary turnaround isn't it in just three three films yeah all of which are incredible Jordan Peele has become synonymous with a genre yeah and I think it's because honestly you can just tell he's like deep love for film and the horror genre in particular just oozes off the screen like you can tell with his filmmaking that every shot is thought about everything every moment is thought about and he's really good at writing characters. And maybe that comes from like sketch writing, having to get a character across in a very short amount of time on screen. And because he's acted in those as well, like he's just really good at giving you a full idea of who a character is with very little information without doing too much exposition or explaining. But it, it's his deep love of everything about the genre that you can really tell is in his filmmaking. And he's really making it because... He loves it and he wants to. He he loves the films he makes. You can tell that in every single shot. And I think that makes an enormous amount of difference. He's so, in interviews, he's so non-precious about it as well. Like in interviews, he's so like, what do you think? He's so fascinated by fan theories before the f- they've seen the film. Like there's spe- specifically ones with Nope where he, people were going, oh, I think it's going to be this and this and this. He's like, oh, that's really interesting. He's He loves it. He loves that people are like, 
thinking all this stuff and have all these theories and have all these ideas about what's happening and maybe that's why that happened and they're finding other things that maybe he didn't write in but he loves that they found that and there's a real joy from him of like sharing his work and putting it out in the world and it not being his anymore it's just really a labor of love and I think that really comes across and especially like you know it's what we were talking about earlier with Emerald Fennel like he wrote a very specific type of like white woman very well where she weaponizes like sex she knows exactly how to use how to like how to be around different people how to because she's done it over and over and over and over again like she's obviously incredibly successful at luring these people in you know her brother has to do it by like using violence and she can just do it by being charming enough you know and it's a very, it's because it's a very scary concept. It's especially scary because he addresses it at the beginning. You know, he's like, is it going to be okay that I go to your family's house because they know I'm black? Do they, do you mean? And he addresses it. She's like, laughs it off. Like, oh, like, and it's, and when you realize how much acting she's doing, like it's so well played, like what a terrifying person, what an absolutely terrifying person who can literally be one person from what, like a different person one minute to the next. You know, it's fascinating. I can't wait. I honestly can't wait to see what he does next. And he he does evoke that feeling of like, I wouldn't even need to have any information about a film he made. I would just go see it. It's at that point. And I think also what he's done, which is also very amazing, clever, and I don't really know how he's done it, is he's made people not want to know. So when Nope first dropped, watched the trailer, I didn't want to know anything else. I didn't want to read any thoughts behind it. I didn't want to read too many things about it. And I think a lot of people felt the same. It's like, you know, you want to go into it really not knowing and like figure it all out along the way as he's telling you it. And that's also very, he's also very mysterious with his trades and stuff. He doesn't try, he tries not to give too much away. I think it really works because people are going to see his films in a way that we used to, or like, which is with little information just because, like, <laughs> because it's fun and his films are fun. And I think often that's what, especially with, I really hate the term elevated horror, but what people call elevated horror now, which is films like, you know, the new Suspiria or Ariasta films or whatever, and Jordan Peele films. I think a lot of the time what's missing from those films is fun when people talk about elevated horror. And I'm like, his films are still like a really good time. They're really fun cinema films. They're made for people to be kind of like reacting loudly. And like, you know, it's, it's just chef's kiss, just amazing. When you, you, what you said about him, you can see the love he puts into every shot. If you, what I found fascinating about Note was when the reveal comes, you can't believe that you didn't see it all along because it is there in the shot the entire time mm. that we're looking at it. And yet you still, you still don't see it coming. It's, it's quite remarkable. I wondered if we could, on the notion of, male perspectives and the Mm. notion of final girls. I wondered Mm. how much this transfers into real life because you mentioned BFI, you also write for Den of Geek, you've been on many, many podcasts talking about this issue. It's what Mm. you do for a living. I wondered how often you've had this genre that you live with day in, day out, mansplained back to you when people learn that you like horror films. It's honestly almost constant, especially, so I've made the mistake of putting on a dating app that, you know, oh, I love horror films. And almost every single guy that talks to me is like, oh, what kind of horror films do you like? And then they 
usually try and go, oh, have you seen this? Which And they mention a horror film they think is obscure, which if you are someone who watches horror, definitely isn't obscure. And I'm like, yes, I have seen that. Like, I mean, it's the same thing that happens with comic books and like computer games, I think, with women, where men, I mean, or sports, where they assume it's kind of a male thing and they go, oh, what do you know about it? And like, it's like, why do you need me to like do a pop quiz to prove to you that I know about this genre? And probably know more than you. It's the same thing. If, it's also the same thing that happens if I drink whiskey. To be honest, if I order a whiskey at a bar, it's like, oh, do you like? It's like, it's just an alcoholic drink, guys. We all do it. We're all adults. It's not some mysterious concept. It's just alcohol that I can literally order at this bar. I'm not like, um, it's not like something I need to know loads about. I know what whiskey I like. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> like, like no one ever. You order a vodka like cranberry. No one ever asks you about like the process of the vodka you're drinking. It's like no, because it doesn't feel male. But anything that feels male, men are suddenly like, I need to know more than you about this because otherwise I've lost some sort of weird contest that I think I'm in. But it's it's constant on dates. Men I just meet randomly. Um, men who have talked to me because I know about horror, who then try and like out explain it to me. And, you know, they don't even know about women in it. They can't name any, they think women aren't involved in it really. It's like a lot of horror films you probably like are like directed and written or and written like by women. And you don't even know that because you haven't even engaged with that part of it. So it's, um, it is really interesting. It is, it is written. All the women I know, like Anna Bogostaya, who's, who runs the Final Girls podcast, who is literally writing a book on horror, who is in a horror encyclopedia she gets it too. And it's like, she lit her entire career is this everything she does. She's like literally gone to university for it. And I, it's, it's amazing that men still like feel very confident, very confident that they can tell her a thing or two about the genre. I think if you did drink vodka and cranberry juice and wrote about romantic comedies instead of horror and drinking whiskey, this probably wouldn't come up, which I think tells us everything we need to know. I will put the films that you asked me to watch for homework in the show notes so that people can find out for themselves why this genre is so popular and mm. how if you just think about flipping the narrative or really zoning in on what is scary that mm. goes beyond a jump scare I think people will learn a lot it's always a pleasure talking to you. It's always a pleasure learning from you. Sarah Barbe Brown, thank you. Thank you. That was very fun. Conclusion, a massive thank you then to Sarah Barbe Brown for today's episode. And to recap, what have we learnt? Allow women to be the predator in your next piece of horror writing. Don't rely on the same old notions of female fear and vulnerability. Women are usually the last to be suspected of violence, and that mystery can be such an interesting and powerful plot point to work with. You don't have to avoid the usual tropes in order to do something revolutionary. You can use jump scares and the basics of horror and still make a groundbreaking and compelling piece of cinema. You just need to know how to modernise the tropes and make them work for new and perhaps more informed audiences. And finally, think carefully about who your audience is and what it is exactly you want to say to them. Is Sarah disliked promising young woman because it didn't bring justice for victims or strike fear into the hearts of offenders? So it fell flat. Whether it's horror, drama or comedy, every piece of writing needs a message. 
make sure it's strong enough to land in the right way. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Haywood. You can get in touch directly at info at behindthespine.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter and Facebook as at Behind the Spine and Instagram as at Behind the Spine Podcast. Check out the show notes for additional information and a full transcript of this episode. Additionally, you can sign up to the email newsletter for updates about our new exclusive live and in-person residency at the Groucho Club in London. These events are not recorded and not repeated and are designed to put you, the audience, both behind the spine and in the room. If you'd like to go on the guest list, please drop us a line. Goodbye for now, stay safe and keep writing. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. 